Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News uh, Talk 96.5 KPEL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app. Either which way, I'm good. Sorry that I'm stuttering there a little bit. Uh, there's a bunch of news that's come in here over the last little bit. I'm trying to get all of my thoughts organized. I thought, you know, this should be easy. I have my topics. There's stuff I've written at KPL965.com. There's stuff at Red State. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Everything will be good. And then, of course, they catch the leaker. The uh, DOJ has identified who they believe the leaker of those sensitive classified documents was. And we have that up, the AP report at kpl965.com. Attorney General Merrick Garland has announced that just, uh, I'm sorry, Jack Tejera, 21-year-old guardsman in Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts Air National Guard member, has emerged as the main person of interest in the disclosure of highly classified military documents and was taken into custody Thursday by federal agents according to Garland, in a press conference a little while ago. Investigators believe that the guardsman, who specializes in intelligence, led the online chat group where documents were posted. Garland identified the guardsman and said that he will be charged with unauthorized removal of classified national defense information. Uh, There was a Washington Post story this morning where they interviewed somebody from the Discord group. And a high schooler uh, basically said, look, I don't think he was like being a terrorist or anything like that. He was just trying to brag and say, you know, all the stuff that he has access to. It's kind of a way to puff up his chest and say, look at how cool I I am. I have all this information. I don't, you know, Discord is a a server for gamers. I mean, it was a, it's used for a lot of things, some of which are, are, uh, are not good. They they actually backdoor illegal services through some Discord servers, but Discord servers tend to be a little bit moderated. Um, Discord, uh, this particular Discord server, whatever it was, a bunch of gamers and 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 so it's like filled with high schoolers and stuff like that. So this this guy Jack Tejera uh, leaks this information, saying, "Look at all this stuff that I have access to," and the Pentagon's not happy about it. Our allies not happy about it. Uh, we also know it gave away some of the intel that we have on Russia and China. So obviously our intelligence community not happy about that. But I think the even bigger issue is um, how easy was it for this guy to get these documents away from the Pentagon and from Pentagon servers? I mean, this is sensitive information. Uh, normally there are protocols. Uh, they're able to track and trace what information is downloaded from where, was taken from where, printed out from where. Uh, not quite clear how all this information got out there, but it is a, a very bad situation that it was able to get out. It it uh, has done damage to U.S. military and U.S. intelligence efforts. So they've got him. They've arrested the guy they believe is behind it, and we will learn more in the days to come. So that is the breaking national news of the moment. But I want to turn now to a state story, one that we have up on KPEL965.com. State Superintendent of Education, Cade Brumley, Dr. Cade Brumley, has responded to a proposed Title IX rule from the Biden administration. Now, the Biden administration's Department of Education is trying to push through a rule that would force states and school districts to allow 
trans athletes to compete in a sport based on their gender preference, their gender identity, rather than their biological sex. Now, if you will recall, with great reluctance, John Bell Edwards signed a Republican law last year banning that, meaning that the trans athlete has to play on the team of their biological sex, not their gender identity. Brumley has been very vocal on issues that we would call the woke issues, and this is no exception. He has written a letter to Eddie Bonin of the uh, Louisiana High School Athletic Association, the LHSAA, and here's what he wrote. Uh, Dear Mr. Bonin, I am writing to raise a critical issue and offer assistance as appropriate. Last week, the U.S. Department of Education proposed a regulatory standard that would govern a federal govern a federal financial assistance recipient's adoption or application of sex-related criteria that would limit or deny a student's eligibility to participate on a male or female athletic team consistent with their gender gender identity. This proposed standard would allow student athletes in Louisiana the ability to participate in individual and team sports consistent with their declared gender identity instead of the biological sex denoted on their birth certificate. The Education Department has offered, quote, a framework for developing eligibility criteria, allowing for flexibilities with implementation. However, make no mistake, this proposed rule provides for sports participation based on gender identity, not biological sex. According to the Education Department, the proposed rules on athletic eligibility advance Title IX's longstanding goal of ensuring equal opportunity in athletics. Introducing biological males into girls into girls sports is the antithesis of equal opportunity, Brumley writes, and will have significant impact on fair and equal high school athletic competition. This issue matters to moms and dads, coaches, and most importantly, the student athletes. Realizing this, our state legislature passed the Fairness in Women's Sports Act in 2022, affirming school-sanctioned athletic participation divided by biological sex unless the configuration is co-ed in nature. Outside of my fundamental disagreement with the proposed rule, it sits in direct opposition to Louisiana law. While regulation of high school sports is a function of your organization, Brumley referring to the LHSAA, not my agency, The decisions concerning athletic participation made by the Louisiana High School Athletic Association will have ramifications across the K-12 educational environment to include funding of school meals, services for students with exceptionalities, and supports for economically disadvantaged school communities. For those reasons and more, I am extending my support and that of my agency to your organization. Please be advised that we are willing to support your continued implementation of Louisiana's Fairness in Women's Sports Act in the event this new federal rule ultimately comes to pass, we should collaborate to challenge implementation to truly ensure a fair playing field. That is Dr. Cade Brumley's letter to the LHSAA, voicing his opposition to this new proposed rule from the Department of Education under Title IX. So basically, the proposed rule, like I said, would ban states and ban districts from a, from uh keeping trans athletes participating in sports of their biological sex rather than their gender identity. The uh, U.S. Department of Education 
is trying to push through this idea that it's not the biology, it's the gender identity that matters, and a trans female should be able to participate on female uh, on a, on a, on a biological female team. Of course, been a lot of debate on this, but but what's what's fascinating to me, I. I don't know the solution to the trans athlete problem, but I do know this. We've been told that it wasn't an issue. We've been told, I mean, John Bell Edwards, not last year, but the year before. John Bell Edwards said it's a solution in search of a problem. The left has been saying, well, this isn't an issue. This isn't something that happens. I mean, the, the, until it did. And now that it is happening, the Department of Education is saying you've got to let it happen. So which is it? Is it not happening or is it happening so much that you are forced to allow it to happen? That's the problem that I have right now is that the Biden administration, all the Democrats were saying this isn't an issue. This isn't a major thing, but we're going to force you to do it, to to let it happen anyway. That doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, you consider that this is all about the, the, the gaslighting of the left on several issues like this. Take the gas stove issue. Talk about gaslighting. The gas stove issue. Oh, a policy paper comes out. Conservatives pick up on it and said, look at this. They actually want to ban gas stoves. And everybody in the, on the left and everybody in the media all came out and said, this isn't what's happening. This is a, white, a right-wing conspiracy theory. And then they start pushing for it. All these news stories, all these reports, all these studies come out saying, yeah, we absolutely need to ban gas stoves. How dare you think that we would ban gas stoves? By the way, it has to happen. How dare you think there's a, that it's going to, that there's going to be this widespread thing of, of trans women wanting to compete in women's sports? Oh, and by the way, you have to let it happen. Just time and again. This is why it bothers me when the right is called culture warriors. The, the right isn't fighting on these cultural issues. It's the left that keeps pushing on these cultural issues, forcing the right to engage. Now, I don't know, like I said, the solution to the trans athlete problem. I don't. Okay? Do we come up with a separate trans league? Do we come up with a non-binary league, a rainbow league, whatever you want to call it? I mean, you could, but at the same time, there's not very many of those athletes out there. On those... You know, on you know, at the same time, I mean, we've seen trans athletes that dominate in women's sports because there is a clear biological advantage. So it's not fair to the girls and women that play on those sports when a biological male comes in and participates in their field and blows them out of the water. It completely undermines the equality that Title IX was created for in the first place. Title IX was meant to equalize the participation and the respect and the coverage that women's sports gets. And now you're saying, well, it doesn't really matter. The, the, everything that women fought for doesn't really matter because if a man wants to identify as a woman, it becomes a man's sport. You have a biological man competing in this space, and you have studies that show it, and you have the simple biological proof that men are different than women, and, and their bodies are built differently. There are biological differences in the way their bodies are structured, the way their bodies carry themselves, and the way they compete in sports. So 
And then there's you know the complete other issue. Of, I mean, there's the locker room issue. I mean, we're talking if it's in schools, we're talking kids that are in you know elementary, middle, and high school kids that don't want to be exposed to the opposite sex's genitalia in a locker room. And you have parents that certainly don't want that. But once again, you're told, no, no, it's not happening. By the way, you have to let it happen. It's absurd. 232-1542, if you want to take, uh, if you want to call in, be part of the conversation, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Send a message to the KPL app chat as well. Be back in just, uh, in, uh, ah, let me try that again. Back in just a second here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, a bit of breaking news. This came out a little while ago. Uh, Mitch McConnell announces that he will be returning to the Senate on Monday. He has been out. Uh, There's a fall and a concussion, and there has been talk throughout the day today that McConnell may be retiring Um, over at the spectator. Multiple sources have told the spectator that senators, John Barrasso of Wyoming, John Cornyn of Texas and John Thune of South Dakota are all actively reaching out to fellow Republican senators in efforts to prepare for an anticipated leadership vote, a vote that would occur on the announcement from McConnell that he would be retiring from his duties as leader, presumably the Senate itself. One source says that Cornyn has been particularly active in his preparations, taking uh, fellow senators with whom he has little in common to lunch in attempts to court them. Requests are being targeted at a plethora of conservative senators, including the 16 who voted to delay the leadership election earlier this year, a proxy for opposition to McConnell's leadership, Rick Scott, the Florida senator and former NRSC head who challenged McConnell, ultimately received 10 protest votes. Those members could prove key in determining the next Republican leader. McConnell fell at a dinner event for the Senate Leadership Fund on March 8th at the Waldorf Astoria, formerly the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. He suffered a concussion and only after being treated at a hospital and his home did murmurs begin that he might be unable to return to the Senate. That is from The Spectator. McConnell announcing on Twitter a little while ago that he would be back in the Senate on Monday. So keep an eye on that. That could prove to be interesting. And it comes at a time when Senate Republicans find themselves in the minority and what should have after what should have been a wave year in terms of midterm elections. uh, McConnell has been struggling to hold his majority together. There's been a lot of infighting in the Republican Party. You have a lot of Republican senators who are more or less kind of doing their own thing at this point. And of course, you have a number of senators who came in on the Tea Party wave and and have largely been pushing for more conservative action on the Senate side. Now, McConnell is a large part of the reason that Roe versus Wade was overturned, that the judicial system was remade in such a way that it could go, that the Dobbs case could go forward. Trump was able to get a lot of justices through the Judicial Committee and through the Senate, thanks in part to McConnell whipping votes, McConnell's work with the Federalist Society. So a lot of the conservative victories that have happened behind the electoral scenes, uh, 
McConnell does have a hand in, so it would be a very interesting uh, way to end his career if a fall and a concussion ends up being what forces him to retire. We will keep an eye on that, of course. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. We'll take this Bob the Hour news break and come back. Your calls, your messages on the app, and more here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. So, I want to play this. Um, I, this is a report from CBS Evening News. I, I want you to listen to this story because of just how important this issue is about to become. I was supposed to have a house call today. Monica Colburn helps run a Virginia hair salon. But like a growing number of Americans, she uses the flexible hours to earn some extra cash. How many different side hustles do you have? I think last year I had eight 1099s. She works weddings and promotes musicians, collecting most of her income through payment apps like Venmo. If I didn't have multiple ways that somebody could pay me, I feel like I would lose business. The apps are easy to use, but starting next year, filing taxes for millions of people could become trickier. A new IRS rule will require anyone earning more than $600 on payment apps in 2023 to receive a 1099-K form. The old threshold was earning $20,000 over 200 transactions. This is not a tax law change. Um, This is just a reporting requirement for those third parties like Venmo, PayPal, and the credit card companies. The IRS expects an initial surge of 4 million of these forms next year, which it says it can handle. But there are businesses concerned handling all the paperwork from this change. Could be like taking on a whole nother job in and of itself. Businesses like Dennis Turbeville, a Maryland furniture maker, takes nearly all of his payments through apps and worries he'll make a mistake when the government is asking for its cut. A $2,500 penalty for a business that's doing $2 million a year, not a big deal. For somebody like me, that's a big deal. The IRS says money exchanged between friends shouldn't be taxed and warns users to classify those transactions as personal, not goods and services. Scott McFarland, CBS News, Alexandria, Virginia. You got to be aware of it. You've got to be aware of that issue because we were told that this wouldn't actually be an issue. Again, it was one of those things, hey, it's not happening, it's not happening. By the way, it's going to happen. Now, the people who are in favor of this are the ones who shout the loudest that those who oppose it are just in favor of tax cheats. This is actually a this is about way more than tax cheats. This is a fundamental misunderstanding of, one, the economic situation on the ground in the United States, and two, how small businesses tend to work. Entrepreneurs who are just starting to get a business off the ground, they have goods or services that they sell, and they, they take these cash app payments, whether it is cash app, Venmo, PayPal, whatever, they take these payments, and that's how they keep growing until they become a, they have a legitimate established business location that they're able to set up their business to be a what we would consider a traditional properly run business. But until they get to that point, hobbyists, people who are just starting out these businesses, they don't have the ability, one, to establish their uh, – they, they don't have the ability to establish all the paper records that they need to pay in taxes. And two, 
they how, what's the best way to say that they because these are hobbies because these are largely side gigs they don't often keep track of all of that paper i mean it just gets lost in the shovel and Again, that's not to excuse mistakes or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is when it's a side hustle, when it's a hobby that you're hey, making a little money on the side on or when you're just starting out a business. You have all of these little things that you've got to take track of. And now the IRS is saying that if you exchange six hundred dollars or more, you need. Tax paperwork for you need a 1099 K form. You have to pay taxes. Even if you make $601 in a year, you've got to fill out a tax form on it. Keep in mind, it's also like this. Let's say you buy something. Let's say it costs, I don't know, $500. You bought it four years ago, five years ago. You don't have the receipt. You you may not even remember when you bought it. But it's been sitting in your house for a while You're like, man, I like it, but I need the cash or I'm trying to downsize, whatever it may be. And you go to eBay, you go to Facebook Marketplace, and you sell it for $400. If you're selling, you sold at a loss. Now, if you sell a few things and you've made more than $600 on those things that you sold that you have actually got that you've sold at a loss. The IRS doesn't care how much you paid for it. And, and if you don't have the receipts to show you may, you had a loss on all of these exchanges, the IRS is going to nail you for, evade, for evading taxes. This rule is written so broadly so they can maximize the money that comes in. And they're doing it on the backs of the middle class. They're not doing it to catch ch- tax cheats at the upper income levels because people, at the upper income levels don't use cash app, PayPal, Venmo or anything else like that. They have their accountants, they have payroll, they have all these things they have that they can afford through their businesses to make sure that all the documentations on the up and up people who have these side gigs, these hobbies, they've turned into paying jobs, these new entrepreneurs that are just starting out. All of that is there. They don't have the ability to keep track of everything in in, in every minute detail. This is going to be an undue burden on the middle class. The same middle class, the Biden administration said, no, 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 no. We're not going to give you any undue burdens. We're going after the rich. We're going after them for not paying their fair share. Nope, they're going to nickel and dime you. They're going to nickel and dime anybody out there. If you've got a kid that has a lawn mowing business and they get paid by, by Cash App or PayPal or Venmo, your kid's going to have to pay taxes on that under this new rule starting next year. So your kid better keep track of everything they do. This is no longer a cash business. This is now a business the IRS is going to tax your kid mowing lawns every week for the little old lady down the street. It is an undue burden on the middle class. It's an undue burden on people trying to start up a business, entrepreneurs, small businesses. It is an undue burden. But they're going to try to nickel and dime every last penny out of the American middle class because they know they've written a tax code that's too complicated for the upper class to actually pay their fair share. And frankly, all of those people who are in the upper income ranks, 
They're the ones who have asked their friends in government to write the rules to be so convoluted they can get out of paying those taxes. The system is rigged constantly against the middle class. It's rigged against you and me. It's rigged against small businesses, entrepreneurs. It always has. It doesn't matter the new technological innovation. It doesn't matter uh, what new rules are passed. It doesn't matter what tax reforms they say they're going to pass. At the end of the day, they are going to do everything they can to bleed every possible cent they can out of you and me. That's what they do. That's all, what they always will do. Because we've set up a tax system that is incentivized to bleed as much of a, as, as much out of us as possible. It's not a system that is built for the betterment of you and me and for the country. It's a system that is meant to bleed us dry. It is written that way. If you breathe the wrong way on a Tuesday and don't apologize for it on Wednesday, that's a $500 fine from the IRS. That's where we're getting to. Every little rule, every little thing they can come up with, they're going to use to get more money out of you. And so now they are turning to these, these digital apps. They are turning to these services where you can pay e- each other however much money you want to for a good or service. And God forbid that you label the wrong thing a personal gift or the wrong thing a professional expense because the IRS is going to hit you for that. And you will be audited at some point. If you're showing that you're getting all of this money from personal gifts and you don't have a record to show what each and every uh, payment was. The system is set up to screw us. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's no real chance of fighting back. The Democrat Party is in control of the White House, is in control of the executive branch, which includes the IRS. They are in control of the Senate. Republicans are about to get ready to lift the debt ceiling, despite what the conservatives in their base actually want. I'll get to that in the last segment. The government isn't, the government in Washington, D.C. isn't actually worried about you. They're not worried about making sure that your tax burden is as light as possible. We're going to end up carrying the burden of their mismanagement of government constantly, day in and day out, because they've written the system to bleed us to do just that. And it's not fair to you and me. It is not fair to your kids, my kids, the kids that come after that. It's not fair to future generations. It's not fair to people that want to start up a small business. They have the skill. They have this hobby. They want to turn it into something that pays. And now they're being told by the IRS, if you make more than $600 in it, you got to pay us money. If you do it through an app and you're not keeping track, you don't have good record-keeping skills, you're screwed. Think about that. It used to be $20,000. Now it's $600. Not $600,000, $600. The IRS is being deputized to bleed you and me. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not about catching tax cheats. It is about bleeding the American people to pay for all of their mismanagement in Washington, D.C. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take this final break. Of course, your calls and messages through the app. We'll be back in just a moment here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. So, talked for a couple days now about how the Republicans are in, in, in Baton Rouge are planning to just raise the spending cap in Louisiana, because why not? They're, they're just afraid that they're going to be made fun of, they're going to be attacked in the media, they don't want to come across as the villains. They just want to spend the money and and help everybody and make everything feel just fine. Okay. Well, the same thing appears to be ready to happen in Washington, D.C. So we've had this debate for a couple months now about whether or not to raise the debt ceiling, whether it needs to be a clean raise, if there needs to be some negotiations going on. The Democrats continue to attack the Republicans, uh, attacking their brinksmanship, their extremism, all that on this budget process. The Republicans have said, no, no, we're going to we're, we're going to be responsible here. Kevin McCarthy has been insisting they're going to be responsible. Well, here's what's actually happening. According to Punchbowl News this morning, the legislation that's being crafted would lift the debt limit until May 2024. Leadership is considering either a cap on non-defense discretionary spending or a cap on overall discretionary spending after reducing it to fiscal year 2022 levels. One cap being considered is a $584 billion cap for non-defense discretionary spending, excluding Veterans Affairs programs. They're aiming to limit the budget to limit the budget growth to 1% annually for the next 10 years. The House GOP proposal would rescind unspent COVID money, money, prohibit student loan forgiveness, repeal some green tax credits, institute work requirements for social programs, and implement the House Republican Energy Plan and regulations citing RAINS Act. In other words, they're going to throw every bit of red meat against the wall to see what sticks, knowing full well the Senate will strip all of it because the the Senate is in Republican hands, uh, is in Democrat hands. Garrett Graves of Louisiana is taking the lead on helping to craft the proposal, which would require action by several committees. Graves was deputized by Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Our boy Garrett Graves is currently working to craft the legislation that would be used to say, hey, we did it. We tried. We didn't get it. And then they would completely compromise on the debt ceiling with the Democrats and and extend raise the debt ceiling, continue spending with no reining in in sight. Again, I've said it before. I know that he made some promises to conservatives, including conservatives that y'all like. Kevin McCarthy's not a conservative. Kevin McCarthy is an establishment hack. He always has been and always will be. He is going to cave on the debt ceiling. He does not feel any commitment to any promise he has ever made. It has all been about climbing the career ladder in Congress. That is what Kevin McCarthy is and what he always has been. The House GOP leadership team is going to revert to the tried and true. Just go with the Democrats approach now and we'll figure something out later. Every conservative gets screwed in this. Every conservative that voted for Kevin McCarthy for speaker gets screwed on this because now when they do a a clean debt ceiling increase, every conservative voter is going to look at their conservative House members and say, "Uh, what the hell was that? 
You promised us fiscal sanity, Clay Higgins. You promised us fiscal sanity, all you other conservatives out there. And now and now Kevin McCarthy's going to turn around and say, well, we tried. We couldn't get it done. Here's a debt ceiling increase. There's no real commitment here. It's worth noting that the House GOP's conservatives actually don't have a seat at the table here. Garrett Graves is not a conservative. He's an establishment moderate on the best day. And going forward, Garrett Graves is the type of Republican that will be put in these situations to ostensibly act conservative, but make sure to write it in such a way that, you know, they don't get it. They get what they want. Conservatives don't get what we want. It's just, again, misleading, bad leadership from Kevin McCarthy, who does not have a backbone for these types of fights. He has wanted to be speaker all of his political career. Now he's there. And... He's content with doing the fighting and and giving the rhetoric, but also turning around and giving the Democrats what they want so long as he gets to keep the power. But if this becomes a clean debt ceiling increase, there are a number of conservatives who know that a tiger can't change his stripes, and they will trigger the vote to try to kick McCarthy out of the speakership. I think, though, that they have ceded so much authority to McCarthy, they likely won't get that. I think it is now too late to rein in McCarthy. He has been given what he wants. Conservatives were let let their little investigations happen. They let their little committee assignments happen. Now it's McCarthy's game. That's it for me. I'm going to take a 23-hour break. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email joe at redstate.com. And as always, the podcast version of the show will be going up momentarily. JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. I'm going to take this break, but rest assured, Shannon is offsize, and he is coming up next here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL.